Nowhere in man's history does he display more tenacity, more perseverance than in his search for eternal youth. Halting the relentless process of aging has been a constant dream of man's and of woman's. Eternal youth, is it really a dream or is it possible that somewhere someone found the secret? The following experience gave me a new attitude on the whole subject of youth and aging. September 20th, 8.05 p.m. William Covey, age 22, deeply concerned with retaining his youthful vigor, his trim physique. This concern had made him a dedicated jogger. Covey would never know if the jogging really helped. He was the first of a series of Chicagoans who were spared the ordeal of seeing their youth slip away, slowly. That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak in the case that we are calling The Youth Killer, originally released March 14th, 1975. It was directed by Don McDougall and written by our old friend Rudy Borchett. Actually, Don McDougall's also an old friend. He directed Legacy of Terror and Rudy Borchett. Gosh, what was that? It was uh, the Trevi Collection. I am joined, of course, by my co-host Supreme, Mr. Chris Tashu. Uh, no, I'm here, and this was uh, this was an episode of Kolchak that we watched. It was definitely an episode. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was um, interesting. There were a lot of good parts and a couple a uh, couple strange Kolchaky things, but I actually liked this episode a lot. Did you have a chance to read the script? I did not have a chance to read the script. There were some interesting differences. The balance between the B story and the A story was a little bit better. So our A story is a series of murders that are happening that Kathy Lee Crosby, who... The fine Kathy Lee. So I remembered Kathy Lee Crosby mostly from That's Incredible, but I didn't realize that That's Incredible was 1979, 80, 81. She was known primarily as being a big tennis star. Apparently she got her start in tennis and then she started doing the acting thing and she was all over the place, both as herself in things like Battle of the Network Stars and then a ton of guest appearances, including this guest appearance here. And yeah, she's looking fantastic in this and I think it's very appropriate that she's basically Helen of Troy re not reincarnated but has lived oh god she's lived forever Chris and she has to make sacrifices every few years in order for boy sounds like something we've seen on this show multiple times I'll tell you what like I'm not going to go down the road of bemoaning that again because we've done it too many times now but it's nice that it was a female character. Yeah, it was nice to have a murderess instead of a murderer this time. However, it is the exact same shit we've seen before, and I don't need to see it again. And guess what? They've got one episode, and I don't think we're seeing it again. So, three times in 20 episodes? Well, not only was I thinking of Eric Estrada in this episode, but I was I was also thinking of the episode that we just recently saw of the Kolchak 2005 series, where it was the woman with, uh, with the uh, super sharp teeth and the boys that were maybe her sons, maybe not. But I was just like, okay, here we go again. That's what it reminded me of more than the original Kolchak was the the reboot, almost like very beat for beat. So she's going around and killing all of these people, and then it just so happens that her gig 
is that she has created an online dating service so that she can, or sorry, I should say a computer dating service. Yeah. (laughs) Computer dating service so that she can find the most perfect specimens in Chicago, male or female, doesn't matter. She wants the most perfect people so that she can sacrifice them to hectate the goddess and then be able to get this eternal life that she's had for however many years now. And luckily, Carl has been put on, for the B story, he's been put on the case of trying to write a story about, or he's been told by Vincenzo, because New York wants it. New York wants a story, Carl, wants a story about the the single scene, and you got to write about it. Hecate is the god of herbs and poisonous plants. Like, she's, it's, she's not the god of beauty. She's like part of the underworld. That's where she lives in Greek mythology, in Greek religion, is under the underworld. I don't understand why that was the the, the character that was picked as the one that she's praying to. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, again, going back to the Eric Estrada one, where it's like, well, Quetzalcoatl would make more sense than who you're saying, because that's supposed to be a good guy that you're making sacrifices to, but... Whatever. It feels like just just pick some shit and we're going to go with it. And people aren't going to – I mean, nobody's going to go and do like us and, uh, you know, look. I mean, that's that's fair. Like, I get it. But, uh, okay. Like, that That to me is just – It's a, I mean, look, again, we're overthinking it because the show came out 50-plus years ago. And they didn't – they were just, oh, heck, heckety, sure, why not? But hmm. – but again, that whole the whole thing where it's just another sacrifice, I kind of overlooked it because this episode was a lot of fun. There were some really fun side characters like Dwayne Hickman as Sergeant Orkin. We get Gordy the Ghoul back the final time. He's only been in it three times. I was so happy to see Gordy. I was so excited when I was reading the screenplay. I read the screenplay before I watched it. And when Gordy the Ghoul showed up in there, I was like, there's no way. There's no way he's coming back. I mean, we haven't seen him in, what, 16 episodes or something. There's no way he's going to be there. Sure enough, there's Gordy the Ghoul. I'm trying to remember the last episode we saw him in. I want to say it was uh, They Are, They Have Been, They Will Be. They Have Been, They Are, They Will Be. And that would, like you said, that was a long time ago. (laughs) I don't know why he wasn't in more. Because if you go on IMDb and you look at like the the build by and who's been in every episode, he is like five people down. Darren McGavin, Simon Oakland, Jack Greenwich, Ruth McDevitt, Craig R. Baxley, who played, you know, Mr. Ring. And then apparently he plays the monster in the next episode. And then you have John Fiedler. Yeah, he was a um, more of a stuntman than a behind the camera guy. But other than him in front of the camera with masks on. So, yeah, I was actually surprised because I was like, whoa, shit, John Fiedler's back? Like, what? Uh, just randomly. It's like, uh, they're just acting like they have he's been in every episode, too. Hey, I'm back, Gordy. It's like, what? Since when? And then we know that Jack Greenwich wasn't in everything because there were a couple times where he was over in Europe or doing other stuff. And it was just like, oh, yeah, Ron's on assignment. But outside of the fact that we finally get to see Gordy again, we did get... George Savalas, yes, Telly Savalas' brother, uh, and Kathleen Freeman, who's great in everything, and also Eddie Firestone playing what I can only describe to be Gil from The Simpsons in human form. Like, that's his character. Like, hey, I, I'm, I own my own business. Like, okay, cool, man. 
George Savalas being billed as Demosthenes in this episode. When that title came up on the screen, I was like, who the what? What am I missing? They were calling him Cat. Yeah, but his his uh, actor name, yeah, it was kind of crazy. I don't know what that was all about. That was a little bizarre. But he's great, right? I kind of wish George Savalas would have been a regular character because he seemed to be like oh. the man on the street guy that Carl really needed. Right, like the oh, like he's my guy who takes me places. Like I would have, I would have loved that if that had been a bigger part of the show because you know. Kolchak never really had someone who wasn't in the office as like a reoccurring character. And that's something I honestly think the show was missing as like another component was the kind of on the beat on the street person. Johnny, the uh, the guy that that uh, polishes his shoes, like from uh, police squad or something. What's the word in the street, Johnny? I don't know. I hear a lot of things. Pick a topic. Well, and look, we were never going to have a cop being that on the show because Kolchak has always had, even in this episode with Sergeant Orkin, like you expect that you're almost going to have this like change up of his re, re um, a change up of his relationship with the cops. But there's, it's not that it ends up, it ends up one scene and then it's right back to the same, you know, antagonistic cop nonsense, which I was like, oh man, this is going to be different. And then it wasn't. And I was really kind of disappointed, honestly. I want to say that there might have been like one more scene that was in the script because after, and please help me out here because it's one of those weird things where I'm like, okay, I read the script and now I saw the thing and now I can't remember which is which. Does he end up hearing back from Sergeant Orkin and hearing, you're right, those prints match these old people? No. Okay. Nope. That's in the script. The final scene is throwing of the pinwheel at Cold Okay. Yeah, there's more to it. Which is a bummer. It's a, that's a bummer that there was not a bigger wrap-up. And, you know, I, I always try to read the script ahead of time. This was the only time I haven't gotten to read a script recently. And I felt like if I had read that, I probably would have been missing it, too. Because it needed it. It needed some little third bit to put a cap on their relationship. So that he's like, well, I should have listened to Kolchak. Because there's never that moment. And to be fair, there's never really that moment in the show anyway, so it kind of tracks with the rest of the show. This episode almost has too many things going on because there are just little shades of stuff that are missing. It's like the whole thing of Tony has this whole subplot where he is going to work out and he's eating right and all this stuff. And there's more to that as well. Like when Carl gets called into his office and Tony's there like stuck in the Lotus position, there had been a scene where Carl saw him in the Lotus position and was like, what are you doing? And then he explains, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm now I'm mastering yoga and he's just so full of himself. And then when he finally calls for help from Carl, that's that breaking point. So we get much more of like Tony being in charge of himself and, you know, bettering himself and, and like he even yells at Carl because Carl wants to, rather than that donut, Carl wants to tempt him by going down to like a greasy spoon diner. And Tony's like, oh, you're not going to have me pay for your lunch and try to get by on the company dole and da, 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 da. So it's, there's a lot more to that. There's a lot more to the whole dating thing. There's one thing I want to read to you because it is amazing. He, uh, go, he has, uh, Tony yells at him, like, I had this kid go around town and get you all of these pants. 
papers and all of these different catalogs for these dating places. And Carl sits down at his desk and, and he picks up a copy of a, uh, a magazine called Singles Weekly. And he reads, uh, his voiceover is, the single scene had indeed changed. Carl leaves through the tabloid to the classified ads, reads one. White female, 22, good bod, digs light B&D, passive S&M, classical music, and water sports. No weirdos or Republicans, please. There is no way that that would have been. That's exactly what I said. And then the next one is Carl is thoughtful for a, mom- for a moment, reads another ad. Group square dancing, old time fun, singles or couples, refreshments, nudity optional. <sighs> yeah. And it just, it, this whole scene is like him saying, like, the most conservative n- newspaper in Chicago had a classified column headed social clubs. The ads offered photo mating, Jewish, Polish, Oriental introductions, computer matching, astrological matching, but it all boils down to a simple need. So, and that's when he goes to see Bella. Yeah, there's a lot more to him uh, with this whole singles thing. And that's a bummer because. Uh, Look, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, with something like this show, the time constraint, uh, look, you know, there is a time constraint, but it's not like another show that I'm watching right now for another podcast like Werewolf. It's not a 23 minute show. This is a full hour long show. So there's some stuff in this, like the whole subplot with Irvin that could have been completely cut down. Well, again, it's like Rudy is writing a script that's 77 pages long. And I'm like, this is not a 90-minute show where you're leaving some room for commercials. What are you doing even handing in a 77-page script? Because maybe he knew that it was going to get cut down anyways? Could be, but I mean, every single one of these pieces. And there's even a moment uh, in the show where it like fades out kind of quickly. And I was like, oh, there was more to that. There's more to that particular scene. So it's like, it almost looks like they shot it and then just cut it out. That's a bummer. It's a total bummer. Because I actually kind of like this episode, even though we've talked about how similar it is to some of the other ones. I thought it was, yeah, it was intriguing. I really liked some of the effects works that they were doing. I mean, yeah, old age makeup has come very far since then. Boy, right? hasn't it? Um, but like the scene of the woman on the balcony who's doing uh, aerobics and she goes down, comes back up and she's older, goes down, comes back up and she's older still. I mean, that was, it was a cheap effect, but it was really effective. Can I ask you something, though? Why do you think with the character of Irvin, they had someone playing him as an old man versus everyone else? It was just the young actor and old person make. Yeah, that was kind of a strange choice. It's a strange choice considering. I mean, was it because we had been following him? I mean, he just dies on a bench. And then the next scene, we get another character who just dies in their bed. But it would have made more sense if you're going to do it once to just do it every time and just have like an older actor portraying that person. It just seemed to, it was an odd choice. Yeah. The person that dies in their bed, I was really scratched my head over that one. I was like, did we need one more murder here? This is kind of strange. The answer is no, because it felt just like, Oh, so I, we get it. So it's, it's just increasing the body count Two men and two women. go. Okay. That's another one where I was just like, I don't even remember that being in the script. So why would they shoot that and not some of this other stuff that actually like adds to the whole overall episode? But can you please tell me what it is with Greek characters and having these bizarre home remedies? (laughs) 
Because the immediately when I saw him putting mayonnaise, mayonnaise on Kolchak's hand, I thought of Windex from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. The whole thing of the cab and them talking outside the cab and the convention air. You know, you talked about uh, um, Gil coming to life from The Simpsons. Pretty much, was he not? I think that that's supposed to be in the cab, and then they end up going to a mechanic's place, and they put mechanic's grease on his hand rather than mayonnaise, because that was bizarre. Well, I mean, it, even the, the show acknowledges how bizarre it is, because Vincenzo goes, who the hell are you? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Who the hell is this guy? This Telly Sabalas' brother just in the, you know, the, the INS, like, building. Like, what the hell? Like, why is he in there with him? It's bizarre. He does not look like Telly Savalas. Oh, doesn't he not? <laughs> that's that's fine, though. It would have been a little distracting. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, he just had, like, the word schlub written across him. It was amazing. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a big old schlub. Like, an emphasis on the big, because he's a big old guy, too. But he's great. I like him. He portrays exactly what I was expecting from that kind of character in this kind of show. Oh, another thing that I forgot to tell you was... Uh, Carl is arguing with Vincenzo about covering the singles and he was like trying to give him other people to do it. So like, Oh, Miss Emily's too old. And then Ron, it was like, he had like this whole thing about Ron doing the singles thing. And I was just like, Oh, again, we're trying to pretend that Ron is heterosexual. Okay. Thanks. Well, again, this is, this is the 70. I know, I know, but I mean, it we has can an have age light B and D in here, but we can't have Ron being gay. <laughs> well, they didn't have that in there, though. To be fair, well, but we did get that reference when he's on the phone to uh, the the the, um, the 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 Yenta, and he's just like, you know, oh, I don't need a girl right now, and and Miss Emily's saying goodnight, and he's, and she thinks that he's ordering a prostitute. Yeah, that's true, but it's not as overt as hey, Ron's gay. True. Or light B&D and water sports. <laughs> Which, who in the 70s would have known that water sports is being peed on? But, again, I, I will say this much about the end of the episode. It has one of the best shots in the series together where Kolchak is getting out of his car. And all of a sudden it's like really lit well. And it's like a tracking shot. Um, it like zooms out and then follows him into the building. It's really weird because it was like, we don't get these like kind of high class shots in this show. And then on top of everything else, Kolchak straight up breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. Right? Which is not common. He's like normally talking to you, but not directly at you. And at the end of this episode, he is talking at the audience. Like he is full on facing the camera. And I was like, what? Where did, huh? Well, that's kind of what they were trying to do with that last episode where he looks at the camera that's in the wall and is like, you believe me, don't you? Or whatever he was supposed to say when he was in the insane asylum. Right. But in this episode, it's, it is that come to fruition, but in a way that is just, it's not that it doesn't work, but it doesn't work. <laughs> like it's, I am I am appreciative of what it is, but honestly, it feels a little ham-fisted. And by a little, I mean a lot. Because it's just, it's, they haven't done that before. And the time that they were thinking about doing it in the last episode, they bailed out of it. For whatever reason. It seems like there's something else I was going to say about this episode, and I'm trying to remember what it is. Is it that Kolchak destroying the temple is amazing? 
He is the laziest destroyer of a temple you have ever seen. He's just, oh, walking around, just lazily throwing. <laughs> He's like, it might be the best thing I've ever seen in this show. Kolchak just like, yeah, yeah, this column, sure. Oh, this bust, whatever. Yeah, this, that, whatever. It's so lazy in the best way. It's lazy in only the way I would believe it's actually Kolchak doing it. When Kolchak puts on that ring... He's actually supposed to start getting older. And there's this whole thing again where it's like, hey, Carl, you don't look so good. And they talk about how it looks like he's aged five years since the last time they saw him. I'm almost glad that they didn't try to do that because, like I said, the old age makeup could be a little distracting. But thematically, it doesn't make any sense, right? Thematically, it makes no sense. Actually, That he would get older or that he wouldn't get older? That he, d- that he doesn't get older. Because everyone else who has the ring on eventually gets older. And if he's not, then what's special about Kolchak? He has the mark of Cain, that's why. Oh, is this not a crossover episode? Yeah, he keeps looking at that half a Gumby hanging from his windshield. Ultimately, this episode is pretty good. And Kathy Lee Crosby's a great female villain. And she's actually a pretty solid actress in this. I like how apparently also a midnight interview, if you're a journalist, means you're breaking and entering... <laughs> We're going on for one of them midnight interviews. Kolchak, that's B&E, dude. <laughs> like, that's straight up breaking and entering. Like, what are you talking about? But, I I mean, again, like, we've had our issues with this show, namely the way the villain's arc is resolved. And in this episode, it's resolved really well. She turns into a statue. Like, that's great. That works thematically in the context of the story. And it's not that it's not believable, but it makes sense for what they were going with for the mythology behind the villain. Right. And that Kaz says, like, she looks exactly like every statue I've ever seen of Helen of Troy. And it's like, okay. And if you disappoint the gods, you get turned into stone. It just fits perfectly. And it's not one of those, like, they couldn't find any traces or turns into a funny looking skeleton or something. Or is stabbed with a stick. Right. Or becomes a dog and never turns back again. Or is stabbed with a stick. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one that will constantly stick in my mind. The Machi Manito who just gets stabbed with a stick. Oh, you know, you could just take a a battle axe and hold it out and then the suit of armor just falls around it. Or when a a werewolf just jumps off of a ship. Yeah, later. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty, uh, you know, in regards to the way the villains tie up in the show... I might go out on a limb and say that this is the best we've seen. I think I'm there with you. Yeah, it's really good and it works and it makes, it honestly makes a lot of sense. Like, it makes more sense than anything else we've seen in the show regarding a a villain dying in quotations. Yeah, this was a surprise that it was this solid because it's like, I mean, like, Okay, the Trevi collection had a little bit of a problem with the way that he, you know, that villain ended up. But, like, Mr. R.I.N.G., I think this one, this goes in kind of the the higher levels of, uh, of uh, you know, episodes for me. I would agree. I mean, we're, look, I don't want to spoil the fun here, but we are one episode away from the show being over. Uh, which something about one season shows I know something about is that at the end of this, we are going to want more and we are not going to get any more. And I am disappointed by that because the last couple episodes have been pretty good and it feels almost like the show is settling into a groove and the next episode is the last one. 
Yeah. And I'm very curious to see what the next episode brings, because that's another L. Ford Neal and John Huff episode. And they were the ones that gave us Mr. R.I.N.G. So really very curious to see what the sentry's like. Yeah, me too. Because again, this is a really, this was a really well done episode. And Richard, if you're listening, you're welcome. I was positive for once. So there you go. I really can't find much wrong with this episode. No, and like you said, those guest spots are fantastic. I love Dwayne Hickman, so seeing him in here, I was so happy. And you're right, as far as um, Kathleen Freeman, she is always great. She is such a comic genius. She used to be in a lot of the old Jerry Lewis stuff, and she could take him toe-to-toe. She was just a solid, solid comedian. I just think of her from... The third Naked Gun movie, and obviously from the Blues Brothers. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. So, but again, she's great in this. And honestly, with the way we've had this show going, with with the way the show has gone, with how great the, like, supporting characters have been, it's not surprising that she's good, but I really like the fact that this episode's side characters almost steal the show. Because they're all memorable, especially Telly Savalas' brother. Poor guy. He's probably always known as Telly Savalas' brother. Right, or Demosthenes. Demosthenes or whatever his fake name is. I was looking through his filmography to see if he had been you know, called that any other time, and I wasn't seeing it. I wonder if it was just to not bill him as Telly Savalas' brother. Could be. Kind of weird, right? Well, not really. I mean, when you and I talked about uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, I mean, Wakayama Tamasaburo, his name is a made-up name because he is uh, Katsu Shintaro. uh, Yeah, Katsu Shintaro, I think, is the guy who played Zatoichi. He was more of a star than his brother, and so he didn't want to have the same name and be like, oh, it's the other you know, guy, so he took a completely different name. So I can see Demosthenes doing the same thing. He was billed as Demosthenes to avoid confusion with his brother. That's what it says. That's what it says on IMDb, and IMDb would never lie. It's got to be true, then. must be true. So next month, we are back, and we're going to be covering something a little different. We're not changing into an X-Files podcast, but we are covering an episode of the X-Files, which was supposed to be an episode of the Kolchak reboot which is called Mulder and Scully Meet the Were Monster. It was based off of the script The M Word, so we'll be talking both about The M Word and Mulder and Scully Meet the Were Monster. What a horrible title that is. What, are we talking about The M Word or Mulder and Scully Meet the Were Monster? Meet the Were Monster. I, I think it kind of works in like a pulp comic book way, but that's not, eh, it's a little too on the nose for its own good. I mean, at least, like, the X-Files didn't try to do... There are, like, shows out there that have theme names to them now, so, like... You mean, like, Chuck? Is that right? Chuck was, like, Chuck versus the... That was the that was the episode titles was always Chuck versus the... And then The Ring was one of the episodes, or Chuck versus the Pink Banana or some horse shit. Like, Friends, right? I mean, Friends were the ones that came up with that dumb naming convention. The Friends Friends one was the one with something, right? I've never seen a single episode of Friends, so hashtag roast me, please. You are better off for it. I guess so, but everybody loves it. Not me. Everybody but you. Yeah. And honestly, your opinion is more important than the general public. 
Aw, thank you, Chris. But I but here's the thing. I am an X Files fan. I didn't watch that episode of the show. Well, I look forward to seeing it with you for the first time. Me too. I look forward to finding out if it is as bad as everything else that came before and after it with those reboots. Because those reboots, spoilers, were not good. Uh, this is one of the few that I watched from that season. I think I watched, actually, the first three, and I quit after watching this. So maybe that will say something. I mean, I remember watching the mythology episodes and thinking to myself, great, Chris Carter's back to his old bullshit again. He's back on that bullshit. Because that's, I mean, anyone who's a fan of the X-Files, and I'm sure some of you listening are, you know that once Chris Carter got on that bullshit with the mythology... The show just nosedived real hard. It just never felt like he knew where it was going. Well, it's like the J.J. Abrams mystery box thing, right? I know what the box is, but I will never tell you what the contents are. And once I start telling you what the contents are, it is immensely disappointing. And the X-Files kind of had the same problem. Yeah, I'm sure Ray is related to the Skywalker somehow. Oh, dear God. Oh, my God. Chris, what is going on with you in your life, sir? Right now, we are third episode of the one season show is coming out. If we had never done this podcast, Kolchak probably would have been a show we would have done a one season show season on because it only lasted one season. And honestly, the the effects and the influence of Kolchak cannot be understated uh, or overstated or stated enough, frankly, because I would say a lot of modern television takes from Kolchak. Uh, so we're doing the one season show where we talk about shows that only lasted one season. We are still talking about Werewolf from 1987, which it's kind of like the Incredible Hulk meets, I don't know, a werewolf just replaced the Hulk with a werewolf and you've got Werewolf, the TV show. Uh, and also I do a podcast called The Culture Cast where we talk about movies once a week. You're on there sometimes. This month we're talking about weird 90s comedies. And boy, there are a lot of them. And uh, you and I do a little podcast with a good friend of ours called Dreams for Sale, where we talk about Twilight Zone 1985. So a lot of uh, a lot of kind of not vintage, but, um, you know, g- pre-golden age or golden age of TV before there was such a term being used for everything TV. Where can people find you? What are you up to? Well, we are in the midst of a check temper over at the projection booth, projectionboothpodcast.com. And yeah, we're just looking at uh, Czechoslovakian. Actually, we've got some uh, Slovakian-centric films, even one from Milanesa or whatever that middle part between like Bohemia and Slovakia is. So I'm learning more about the actual layout of uh, Czechoslovakia right now. The former Czechoslovakia, a.k.a. the Czech Republic plus Slovakia, whatever. So, yeah, that's what I'm up to. It's pretty exciting. Come on down to the projection booth. You'll talk about movies and get a history lesson. A little bit of geography, a little bit of history, maybe some math. A lot of sadness, I can tell you that. Yeah, definitely. As someone whose family is from Eastern Europe, boy, the Eastern European history is just one long famine. They're not all Dita Saxnova, so there are some funny ones in there, too. I'm just talking about the country in general. That's true. That's true. I want to thank John Walker for our theme music. I want to thank everybody for listening. Have you stuck with us this long? You should be impressed. Pat yourself on the back right now. Do it. We love you. We do love you. I took some pictures, but it seemed pointless. 
The destruction of the room would belabel vandalism or a faulty sprinkler system. I don't need any photographs of Helen. You see, she would always be as she always was. Cold and beautiful and unchanging. Uh, oh, as a postscript, I offer this bit of advice. Should you ever find a ring, no matter how pretty or valuable, consider well before you slip it on your finger. You may never get it off again. Thank you.